Welcome to Journaling with Nature, the podcast for those who want to turn curiosity into wonder, a pencil sketch into a rabbit hole of discovery, a moment of stillness into a life full of joy. I'm your host, Bethan Burton. Let's open the pages of our nature journals and explore this world together. Hello, this is episode 96. Today we have a special treat because Dr. Ali Foxen is here again. I spoke with Ali way back at the beginning of the podcast project about green sketching, what it is, and why she started this movement. And this time we're talking about her new book, which has been published this year. The book is called The Green Sketching Handbook, Relax, Unwind, and Reconnect with Nature. Ali gently encourages us to look for joy in nature and use creativity as a way to increase well-being and connect with our place. In our conversation, we spoke about green sketching and how it's different from other creative genres, what it was like to write a book in the middle of a pandemic, and ways that joy, gratitude, and love combine and underpin our connection with nature. Let's listen. Ali, thank you so much for joining me again on the podcast. I am excited to talk to you. Oh, it's a pleasure to be back here. <laughs> Do you know what? We recorded episode nine together, and this is episode 96. So a lot has happened in oh, that time. Oh, my goodness. And what an achievement. I hope you feel proud of yourself. Well, thank you so much. And I hope you feel proud of yourself because we are here to talk about a lot of things, but including your extra special new book. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's been it's been a a big adventure. I think that's the best word for it. Yes. So this beautiful new book been published this year, the Green Sketching Handbook. Relax, unwind and reconnect with nature. This is such a special book and I hope you're feeling proud because it is it is something really special. Thank you. Thank you. I do feel I do feel so proud because you have an idea yeah. and a dream that you might be able to do something. And when you actually get to hold a physical copy in your hand, it, it's, it's a special moment. It is. Yes. So I do recommend the listener go back and listen to our original podcast. But for those who haven't heard that and haven't heard about green sketching, I'd love for us to talk about what green sketching is, what makes it unique from other forms of creativity and how it all came together for you creating this new genre oh right uh where to start so green sketching um is a type of nature sketching and it's really an invitation to think about it in a new way um so there's lots lots of overlap with nature journaling but the emphasis of green sketching is really on the process um, the process of sketching uh, as a tool for well-being and nature connection mm. above and beyond learning about nature or um, creating a sort of a beautiful artwork or even a beautiful nature journal or a sort of comprehensive nature journal it is the process um, and the reason I developed it is I was aware from personal experience about the benefits of sketching just for quieting quietening my own mind but I realised so many people think it's, they sort of would love to do it, but they, they feel these barriers to having a go. Mm. And I just wanted to find a way to make it more accessible, um, even if that meant it was then a stepping stone to nature journaling or urban sketching or botanical drawing or the other genres out there. But you have to overcome that, oh, I can't do it, I can't draw. And so I wanted to take it right back to the basics of um how can we get people to overcome their fears and simply pick up a pencil? Because the benefits of sketching are actually all in the process. It's not what you end up creating on the page that really, really matters and that changes your relationship with nature. So that's that's sort of how the green sketching concept came about. Um, yeah. I love that you emphasise joy. Mm -hmm. So you call yourself a joy spotter and this just lights my heart up because, I mean, that's what we're all looking for, right? We're all looking for these moments when you feel something, when you feel alive, when you feel this connection and and that's what green sketching brings out in people. Yeah, there was 
I suppose, again, from personal experience, I realised that when you sketch something, two things happen. I mean, many more than two, but two, two things happen. You, um, the process of sketching sort of calms you down. It's very relaxing and absorbing. Um, and anyone, who, anyone who's experienced creative flow will know that experience of just getting sucked in and you lose track of time. But there's something else because the focus is on the natural world. It's outside your head. Um, when you when you spot something that's um, beautiful or colourful or curious or amazing or just quirky, uh, it does elicit this sort of spark of spark of joy. Yeah. And the combination of having a um, a tool, a simple tool that can um, help you experience more joy and also calm you down it's actually really yes. really amazing to have the two because you can often find things that do one or the other but to have have a really simple activity that's accessible and affordable for so many people that can help you look for joy in your life and calm down a racing brain I just thought it was amazing yeah that is amazing and I love uh, there's a quote from your book and it's it is that you say I didn't want to get better at sketching I wanted to feel better by sketching and I thought that was super powerful and that really sums the whole thing up. It's not about improving your art school, although that does come from doing it. That's a sideline. That's a, that's a byproduct of actually just being there in the moment and feeling better by doing, by doing this process. And I thought that was a really powerful quote. Yeah. I mean, that was, um, that was really important to me because I didn't want green sketching to be another how to draw movement. Um, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of far better qualified artists out there who can teach people to technically draw. And there are some beautiful um, books available that will show you step by step how to draw a, a tree or how to draw a bird. Um, and I've been on workshops with people that will teach you meticulously how to, how to get things right. And there's a place for that. There's an absolute place for that. And it can be very creatively rewarding. But for me, and I found sometimes that created a sense of having to get to a certain standard or measuring yourself and comparing yourself. And um, it's very easy to then feel a bit inadequate if a drawing goes wrong and it doesn't look like the one you're trying to copy or emulate. And mm -hmm. for me, when I started sketching, it was ever such a um, informal, incomplete process, because I think, as we said, <laughs> as we discussed before, my son was a baby, he wasn't sleeping. So half the time, my sketches didn't get finished. And it really mm -hmm. was about the process. And I didn't have time to be precious. And I wasn't showing anyone. And it was this awareness that it didn't matter, it made me feel good. And it was so different from previous creative efforts that were have I done does this look good enough um so I really wanted to distinguish from the sort of process from the artwork yeah and in fact you caution people from sharing don't forbid it of course but um you say just um share with caution yeah because then it changes it into something else doesn't it it really does and um because I've worked as an artist as well and um, done commissions and uh, sold my artwork to local shops and galleries and uh, sold paintings overseas, I'm well aware of the part of um, our sort of creative brain that wants to please other people and create something that other people enjoy. And it's wonderful when people like your artwork, but it's a very fragile, a very fragile line between um, feeling excited and pleased and soaking mm. up the praise. But the flip side of that, as we all know, is feeling a bit disappointed if somebody doesn't like it or worrying mm -hmm. whether a commission will go down well. And yes. it's not relaxing. It's not always <laughs> relaxing if your your artistic output is um, based on external approval. Um, and it's yeah. both the fear of criticism or the sort of desire for their praise. And if you're sort of honest with yourself and take a step back, you go, that's always going to be uh, contingent on other people's opinions. Whereas if you just focus on the process for yourself and how it makes you feel, uh, and the best way to do that is to stop worrying about what other people will see. And the easiest way to do that is to stop showing it to them. Um, so, <laughs> of course, I don't want to stop anyone sharing work that they're proud of. But just, just, think, yes. just think twice about the motivation and yeah. uh, be conscious of it. Yeah. I was going to ask you about why you think creativity and nature 
go so well together. And I wonder if it goes back to what you said about joy and calm. What, what do you think it is? Why are these two things such so perfectly matched? Oh, that's a massive question. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe it's the, maybe it's because the natural world, oh, I'm going to say something that's a cliche, but maybe it's because it's this source of endless and changing inspiration. Yeah. So nothing is yeah. static. So you, you see the light changes, obviously, the 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 seasons change there's always something new and novelty sparks ideas and novelty sparks new reactions so maybe it's the changing environment but the plus the beauty just the aesthetics of beautiful color combinations and um shapes uh and maybe that fuels our our creativity because creativity you need you need positive emotion for creativity so if you've got joy that's a source of positive emotion so um Maybe it puts us in a relaxed, open uh, yeah. frame of mind. I, I wonder, I believe, and I wonder about your thoughts on this, I believe that everybody is creative. I think it's inbuilt in humans. And whether someone comes along and says, oh, I don't have a creative bone in my body. I've heard people say that before, but I don't. I disagree. I think that person probably has a flair for cooking or, or even mechanics. Or, you know, I think that humans are innately creative and, and also nature is innate in us. Like these two things that are part of us together seems to create magic. No, I agree. I, I think um, I think everyone can be creative in their own way. And mm. one of the key themes of green sketching, actually, is that I want people to find their own way of sketching, not to, I don't do demonstrations, I don't teach my mm. way. I want, um, I don't want people to follow step-by-step demonstrations um, because some people, their idea of creativity will be perhaps a cliche, you know, fluid brushstrokes and uh, bold lines and um, something that sort of everyone would recognize as creative whereas somebody else's might be incredibly methodical accurate Mm -hmm. um, uh, sketches of something and when you when you recognize that the way we interpret the world is so unique but also the way we the way we put our marks down on paper is also so unique it can be very empowering and and stop that sort of feeling of doubt and have I done something wrong um so I completely agree and I think there's the the old way of creativity means you're good at art and actually Mm. creativity is is ideas and making connections and um responding to stimulus um so yes everyone can be creative in their own way and it's about feeling confident to explore what that might be yeah yeah I love that I love that um feeling like in a nature journaling workshop Um, I've noticed that you can be journaling the exact same thing and everybody's pages will be different. And it would be a great shame, I think, if everybody, if you were following step by step and this is how you do this, because it takes away that unique essence of you. Absolutely. And I think it's in chapter nine of my book. I've got a whole series of trying to find your own way so you can explore Mm. exactly what that might be, whether you want to just prompts really to see what sort of um what sort of environment you respond to and what sort of materials you might be more drawn to because it 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 may be that you like looking at patterns and you like uh colors and somebody else might prefer uh you know fluid forms and um charcoals and all sorts of different things but we're not all the same and nor should we be and so the, the, the way we sketch the world will look so radically different and um also experimenting you and I both both value the sort of the role of experimenting so don't expect the first time you sketch something to have found your way you know maybe you have to experiment with all sorts of different subjects and sketching sky and sketching lichen and sketching water and sketching flowers and insects and um, you don't have to like it all and there's this myth that when you love nature somehow you love all of nature and mm. you might be completely turned off by insects but be obsessed <laughs> or be obsessed with rock formations um and i think it's it's important that we we recognize that yeah absolutely so to sum up green sketching you sort of put it in three um 
three tenants, three um, categories. So a focus on observation, not artwork. Yeah. A focus on enjoying nature, not learning about mm-hmm. it, which is really interesting because that takes that is takes the emphasis on anything except the experience, anything except the joy of it. And the third one, a focus on sketching in your own way for your own well-being, which is what you just described, learning how to learning how to be you, learning how to express yourself, yeah. not someone else, yourself. Yeah. And, the, and the second point is really important because some people, particularly if they've ended up in a, a lifestyle that's pretty disconnected from nature, actually, mm. if they're rarely having anything to do with the outdoors and it's very easy to be intimidated by people who are super knowledgeable and feel mm-hmm. that's just not my world. I just, I, you know, and just to stay away from it even more and to feel they don't want to look stupid yeah. because they don't know the name of something. Um, but when it comes to um, the research on nature connection and helping people have a closer relationship with nature, it's really clear that it, the knowledge is irrelevant. Well, not irrelevant, but it's, it's secondary to your emotional response to nature. So, we all have an equal right to have an emotional response to nature. And it, it doesn't matter at all whether we understand what we're looking at as long as we just feel our sort of response to it. Yeah, and I love that your work is really based, I mean, it, it's from your history, um, but really based in research. And so you have all these, uh, I said it before, it, I said it in our last interview that you are this amazing mix of like academic rigorous study and just wild joy full abandon I love this about you that you hold both of these things but so the things you say in your book are backed by research and one of the things you mention which is um also backed by research is that the stronger your attachment to a place the more well-being you experience there and I just thought this was fascinating and intuitively yeah I could understand that and and this practice of green sketching or being joyful in nature and being creative in nature helps you cement that attachment Mm. to the place Mm. I mean the analogy is the more you get to know another person often the more you 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 like them and it's the more you get to know a place and sketching is such a great great way to see a place and see what's actually there um, to slow down and really notice the details and how it changes through the year and that's how you that's how you really get to know a place um by looking at it and actually spending time seeing it and it's just the same as human relationships you get to yeah. you get to love somebody more by paying them more attention um so yeah so i like i like things to be evidence based but mm-hmm. the merging of the arts and the sciences i think i think we need to do more of it generally in life um yeah. uh, Sometimes you feel like you're jack of all trades, but sometimes when it actually all integrates, it, it it's um yeah, it's great. Absolutely, absolutely. So you were deep in writing this book during COVID, and I wonder about I wonder whether you feel like more people are coming to creativity and nature through this time. Uh, I think that's um yeah, probably. I think so many people so many people uh, appreciated the great outdoors nature during the pandemic and it's it's been Mm -hmm. we've we've sort of talked about it before that Mm. people either realized how grateful they were and how lucky they were to have green spaces nearby or they sorely missed them because they didn't have access to them Um, and I know I know people started noticing birdsong and noticing things just because the noise you know the traffic all disappeared so there was definitely an increased awareness and appreciation and maybe that has made people more more willing to turn to this and people also turn yeah. to more creative hobbies as as and realize that they can be very healing and cathartic in times of stress yes. so it's the combination of um oh nature makes me feel good creativity makes me feel good and this is an activity that brings them both together so <laughs> bring it on yeah but I was fascinated that at the back of your book, you told a story about your grandmother and how she left a book after she passed away. And in that book, the foreword, it was from 1927. And the the author of this foreword, she said she was describing the stress of life, the pace of life and how everyone is stressed and no time for nature and no time for creativity. This was in 1927. And it made me think, 
wow, like nothing's changed. Like depending on the time you can feel like life is overwhelming, but it's, it's been the same since, since many, many decades ago. Yeah, that was an extraordinary quote, wasn't it? Because to, to realise that somebody thought the pace of life was too stressful and that you needed to slow down and um, uh, have a go at sketching nature as a way to sort of calm your mind and it didn't matter what the picture looked like. I mean, like I say, green sketching and the idea of it or, or nature journaling, well, it's not new, but we have yeah. actually forgotten how um powerful it is for making us feel uh less overwhelmed by the the modern world whenever that modern world might be taking place um, exactly <laughs> i found that super super fascinating yeah so tell me about the process of writing this book in the middle of a pandemic how was the process for you <laughs> <laughs> it's probably one of the hardest things I've ever done um, <laughs> so it was this amazing opportunity and uh, it landed in the middle of the pandemic um, I, I mean I, I submitted a book proposal and I was offered a, a yeah. book deal so it didn't it didn't fall mm -hmm. out of um, fall out of nowhere but when I was um, given the opportunity to write the book um, soon after we went into lockdown for the second time and um, I had to homeschool my son and had quite a um, ambitious deadline for the manuscript. And I, I, I mean, I think lots and lots of parents and um, particularly mums had to draw on strength they didn't know they had. And yes, if you ask me how I did it, 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 it wasn't pretty. You know, I, I gave up a lot of yes things like going downstairs for meals. <laughs> <laughs> showering um, <laughs> um it was stripping life right back to the absolute <laughs> basics um and I thought I was going to have a month to do each chapter and it ended up being days and it was intense it was it was intense but I think it was my editor early on said she thought the book was already in my head and so I think she believed in you I think it really was a case of downloading something I'd been carrying around for years yes and had it had it been a different type of book it might have been an even even harder experience but yeah but you've produced something so beautiful and so valuable and I'm glad that you've been getting some really wonderful feedback on how it's moved people and helped them move forward with this beautiful practice in their lives thank you that's that's the best part of it actually when you when you when you put it out into the world, you don't know what the reaction will be. And then when you get messages from people you don't know um, mm -hmm. who have understood what you've been trying to do. And more than that, they've um, expressed sort of personally how it's helped them. And, um, uh, you know, so many people's mental health is really, really, you know, we're really struggling collectively at the moment. Yes. Um, the pandemic and then Ukraine. Uh, but to get messages from people saying my book's helping just makes yes. makes it all worthwhile. That's that's wonderful. I love the way you've divided the book into three parts. So there's chapters, but within these three parts, and they are motivation, guidance, and encouragement. And it's kind of like giving people a reason to start, giving some tips on how to go forward, and then encouraging them to keep going. And I, I think this is a really elegant way to structure it. I, I wanted this, like I said earlier, there are so many how to draw books. And the world doesn't need a how to another how to draw book but I wanted this to be more of a why to draw book and why to draw yes. nature so I spent it's not like your normal art book it's very different so I wanted to spend yes. a large chunk of, of the the book explaining why this will make you feel better um, mm -hmm. because I think all of us um, when we're changing habits or adopting new habits if we understand why we're doing it it's so much we're so much more likely to persist with it because it's hard to start off with when you're when you're creating a new habit or building confidence um so I really wanted people to get get why this will help them why it's worth pushing past those yeah. those early early feelings of discomfort and um doubt and and then to very very the, the middle section I I didn't want to overwhelm people too quickly because I think a lot of drawing books you, you start off with one simple exercise and then very quickly it's moved on 
and, and you can't keep yes. up and so you, I you, found this, you yeah. stop so one minute you're doing just shading a little square and the next yeah. minute you're trying to do a portrait or something and it's <laughs> it, it's very easy to have something that was meant to build your confidence completely shatter it yeah. so I wanted to walk people through in step by step and almost dwell on that beginner stage of um and keeping it very very simple so that there was always so everyone felt comfortable really and, and could go at their own pace but it was never overwhelming and then the final part is just how to actually make this a reality because it's so easy to find out something's good for you and have a quick go but actually how can we embed this into day-to-day life depending on your circumstances and and recognizing that we all are living very different lives so that was the plan yes and I wonder uh, this this whole issue of like negative self-talk and how we speak to ourselves is just so awful in a way that we would never speak to anyone outside of ourselves. I wonder if so you you have taught green sketching to many workshops and different groups people of all ages. I wonder how you go about helping th- people through their negative self-talk in a in a setting like that in a workshop. Uh, I think it's like I said, the, the exercises are designed mm. to be to remove all of the fear. So yeah. if you can remove all of the fear right at the beginning and um, reassure people they don't have to share their sketches in yeah. a workshop, which is yeah. actually quite unusual. Nobody has to show me yes. what they've done. Um, yes. It's amazing that little, that, that small tactic can reassure people. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I think another one is just my own empathy. I, I'm, I, know, yes. I know what it feels like to, to doubt yourself yeah. or to worry that it's not good <laughs> enough. So um, I think it makes a huge difference if you, if you can see, see yourself reflected in them because you know what they're worrying about before they've even realised it. <laughs> so I think that helps. Yeah, yeah. It's such a big deal, isn't it? It's such a... It never goes away. Mm. I mean, even when you know, when you know all this stuff, and you know how to talk gently to your inner critic. The voice is still there, yeah. and it's no matter no matter what stage you're at, it's still there. It's still saying these mean things. <laughs> Absolutely, and I think because I'm self, I'm a self-taught um, yeah. uh, artist, and I've taught myself as an adult. So it's mm. really I know what it feels like. I know what all the sticking points are, um, and I think if I was a, and I'm not very good, you know, I, I'm I'm okay, but I'm not I'm not a talented artist technically and I think if I was then you have a bigger gap between what you're capable of and what a beginner in your workshop is capable Mm. of Um, whereas I'm self-taught and know all the mistakes because I'm still making them (laughs) so it makes it I think your work has such a beautiful feeling to it and I would disagree with what you just said because I think you're um, I think your work is beautiful and alive and but I do understand mm. what you're saying. Like if, you, if you're a, a botanical artist mm. who does everything with incredible precision and um, that, that really does sort of widen the gap mm. between you and the beginner. But I also like sometimes, I, I, my sketchbooks are very private and I encourage everybody yeah. to keep their sketchbooks private for the reasons mm-hmm. we discussed earlier. But sometimes if someone is really struggling in a workshop with perfectionism and a sort of inner mm. critic, I'll show them that 10% of my sketches will be what you end up seeing online or in the book. Yes. Look at the rest of them. They're so messy. (laughs) I've started them, not finished them. I've just put a cross through that one. That's a, a, you know, they're they're a complete jumble and that's, that's the reality. And we've talked before about the problems with Instagram, but Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. all of us probably ought to be showing a lot more of those messy sketches to make it yes. more real because when we just share the good stuff it, it elevates people's false expectations of what they'll be able to do um, yeah absolutely I um nature journal with my son and I have done since he was born he's five years old now um as soon as he could sit up and hold a paintbrush we were outside together you know splashing paint around and he couldn't represent what he was seeing but now he does and he but he's very conscious of what I create and he looks at what he creates and he looks back at what I create. And and when I, he says, he looks down at mine and if I've made um, a quote unquote mistake, yeah. you know, if I've gone out the lines, yeah. he's like, yes. 
I love it when you go outside oh, the lines. Yeah. <laughs> and it's that same thing. Like you don't want everything to be perfect because it's not perfect in life. And also it. I feel like if I was to make like perfect pictures in my journal, not that I do and I don't strive for that, but um, it makes him feel uncomfortable. Yeah. So I'm really happy like splashing paint and yeah. making a mess in my journal because it makes him feel comfortable. Absolutely. Um, I've had the same experience with my son. If I do something that looks too, like you say, common, uh, too yeah. good, yeah, it's discourages him from having a go yeah. so where where i'm always trying to trying to show him that those those first few lines that they're observational like they're they're the way you're seeing and then you're seeing it's the growth mindset you're seeing it one way and then you're sort of improving the way you're seeing it and then maybe third fourth fifth time you might see exactly how it is but you needed those first few lines yeah. to get it in the right place um they're not wrong they're just the way your brain is slowly figuring out what is you know is feels better um yeah john muir laws calls those first marks sacrificial pancakes mm. and it, the idea is that when you make pancakes the first few are all twisted and weird and you maybe toss them out or just munch on them while you're doing the rest but the you don't get into the flow of making pancakes until you've passed the first few and you don't get into the flow of um, observing and drawing until you've yeah. made some wobbly marks. Oh, we've got Wimbledon, you know, it's, it's like doing a serve over, you, you have to do a few serves just to warm up and it's, it's, yeah. you're never, you're never going to get your best serves the first time you pick up your racket. Um, so it's, yeah. um, it's just being kind to ourselves because if you stop at that stage, it's ridiculous, isn't it? To sort of give up then. You're yes. Like, well, everybody's looks messy to start off with yeah you dedicate several pages of the book to reasons to love sketching and you've included things like sketching in nature helps us see more helps us remember helps us slow down but the one on that list that really caught my attention was sketching helps you reconnect with your body and I think this is such a powerful thing and you talk about green sketching be a, being a multi-sensory interaction and I love this idea because I, I often often do this for myself and in my teaching about sensing things and going through the senses and experiencing that and also you write about it being like this multi-sensory thing with the hand and the eye connecting and the the mind and the heart all all together and you write this lovely word and I saw it come up again um, a couple of times in your book and it is embodied and I think this is a really juicy wonderful expressive word embodied that just that just really stood out to me that this process is an embodied connection absolutely and I think um, embodiment I mean I'm I'm not an expert in any shape or form, but people are becoming more aware that so many of our problems are because we're stuck in our heads and yes. we uh, value what's going on in our heads more than what's going on in our bodies. Yes. And they're not separate um, and we need to link them and be aware that they are linked. But we try to solve so many of our problems through our mind and um, a lot of the, you know, a lot of healing practices um accept that actually healing will come from the body first and you can yes. heal the mind through the body and you might think well what's this got to do with drawing but actually it's 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 not it's a it's a subtle thing but mm. linking our hands and our eyes and our minds together is a powerful embodiment practice and um when you realize that the eye the hand isn't following the eyes but the hand is actually leading the eyes and showing you how to see yes. more i think it's absolutely fascinating um and then once you tune into this and explore it, it's, um, yeah, you realise that that's part of why it sort of calms you and it slows you down. And, and then you can experiment with different sizes of paper and, um, again, different, uh, different mediums that feel tactile or, uh, and, and really explore how it, how it feels to draw in your body um, mm -mm. Uh, and how to respond to, the, to what you're seeing through your body as well as your mind. So. Yeah, I think this is such a powerful practice and it brings me back to that thought that, you know, 
there are lots of times when we're panicking or being anxious or or feeling like things are out of control. But in most of the moments in our life, if we're not in the future worrying, if we're not in the past stressing over things we did or said, these the moment we're actually in is actually calm. Mm. The moment is, is actually safe. And if you can come back, and the best way is through the body, through the breath or through like sensory awareness, right now I'm safe, even if my mind is taking me somewhere dangerous that feels dangerous. Right now, in reality, right now is okay. Absolutely. And this practice can can help facilitate that. And maybe that's why it's so good for you, why it's so calming. Yeah, I mean, we've talked before about one of the sort of most first aid approaches to anxiety is to... um, suddenly draw your attention to what you can see as well as what you can hear yes. and what you can touch but what you can yes. what you can see and so just noticing your outside world is a powerful way to stop spiraling thoughts um yes and then there's also sometimes when we get anxious we focus our, our vision sort of narrows and we can focus right on what's in front of us whereas if you look at the horizon and you look further afield mm. and you open up your vision that can have a calming effect and so as you develop a green sketching practice and you start to realize you can change how you feel by changing what you're sketching. So if, yes. you, if you need to calm yourself down, then maybe going for a, a I call them doodle walks, but going for a walk and specifically <laughs> focusing on the landscape and things in the distance, maybe that's a good way to calm down anxiety. Um, this is this is anecdotal. This isn't a, this isn't sort of science based, but it sort of makes sense with what we're what we're learning about vision and and, and sort of anxiety. But um, and similarly, if your brain is absolutely racing, focusing on a really detailed little sketch of a fern leaf or a, something complicated, not overwhelming but complicated that requires your focus, again is another good yes. way to settle. Um, and there isn't a prescription that anyone else can give you for this. It's a case of figuring out how different things make you feel so it's noticing what you notice and then how it makes you feel afterwards and then using it as part of your own sort of emotional toolkit because all this comes back to emotional regulation so what do you need to sketch to make you feel better in that moment of time and if you're too overwhelmed to sketch then what do you need to look at because you Mm. if you if you don't have the energy to actually sketch something what do you need to look at where where do you need to place your attention I love that. I love that very much that you tune in to your own needs and and let even almost let the senses or the body guide you to where you need to be mm-hmm. and that you can be deliberate because this is one thing that is really hard sometimes to remember that we have control over our emotions and we can bring them in even though sometimes that feels really hard. We can actually choose what to feel we can choose where to put our focus Mm. and sometimes when you're really like highly dysregulated or or anxious it's super hard to hold it you know you can pull it in and say okay I'm gonna focus on this shell right right in this moment and then if it's it's a really dysregulated moment off goes the mind again really quickly but we can we can deliberately bring it back and and then to go on I was going to say and it needn't be complicated so it can be just developing the awareness that when I Mm. go for a doodle walk I feel better and yes when you grab your sketchbook and a pencil or a pen or if you want a watercolor kit but when you head out of the door when you're feeling whether you're feeling anxious or angry or frustrated or just scattered Mm. I feel better after I've been for a doodle walk. You go to maybe mm-hmm. your favourite place, you sit there and you don't overthink it. You don't think, now, what was I meant to do when I feel like this? Yes. You sit yeah, there yeah, yeah. and this is where I always come back to this joy spotting. What do I notice mm-hmm. that makes me feel, what do I notice that looks nice? And maybe it's a colour that day or maybe it's a quirky thing. But just ask yourself, what, what what's making me smile a tiny bit or what's caught my mm-hmm. eye? And it doesn't need to be anything more complicated than that. So it's just getting into that habit of, doodle walks make me feel better and what is sparking joy and if you just have that as the framework then it doesn't need to be you don't need to all all the rest will follow naturally yes 
Yes. And I love this idea that you have, like we sort of have this emotional balance, this emotional scale. And sometimes you need more calm. You say this in the book, sometimes we need more calm. And sometimes I need like a lift. I need more joy. And finding a good balance on this scale of calm and joy is, you know, makes us feel regulated. And <laughs> surprise, wonderful surprise, green sketching does both of these things. <laughs> it, yeah. Brings more joy and more calm. <laughs> I mean, I mean I'm, I'm not sure it would be. But it, it made so much sense to me that if we're yeah. not talking about, I mean, you know, I feel like we need a, a disclaimer here. We're not talking about serious mental health challenges that require yes. medical help yeah. and assistance. We're yeah. talking about the everyday struggles that we all have yeah. that we try to cope with by ourselves. Yeah. And um, for me personally, if I get stressed or anxious, that's my nervous system speeding up mm. it's the sympathetic nervous mm. system and I need to calm myself down so that's when the process of sketching just calms you down but that's that's mm. it doesn't matter whether it's anxiety or stress or anger you need to calm down you need to come back to your center but the other way is sometimes you feel really flat and you feel yes. you're really exhausted and you feel maybe you know a bit depressed or a bit unmotivated and you're just lacking energy and that's where you need um, a good injection of joy. Yeah. And you find, you know, whatever your own personal environment is, but in spring it might be, I'm going to go and seek out the blossom or I'm going to the beach or I'm going to wherever yeah. it is that just gives you that lift and it sort of energises you. Um, but it's recognising that mental health is very complicated but for a lot of us it's just have we become too stressed and anxious and angry or have we become a bit flat low yes. despondent and um the the problems is when you you go too far to the extremes and if we can find mm -hmm. ways to regulate and come back to the center then um we can help ourselves can't we yeah and the solution for both is the same solution which is very elegant <laughs> <laughs> yes i'm i'm yeah there were you know our, our problems are um Sadly, we can't solve everything with green sketching, but I do yeah. think it can help. I think there are very few situations. I think so, too. so, I mean, I had a, a, a doctor's appointment the day before publication day, and I was so nervous about it. It was, you know, I had a, a surgical procedure, and I was so nervous. Oh. And I was in the waiting room, and there were no mobile phones allowed. And so, on the way in, I knew this was going to happen. So, I picked up some, it was some blossom on the mm. way in and I sketched a single flower of blossom while I waited for the 15 minutes before I went in mm. and it worked it, it kept my you know very very real anxiety in check for that time when you weren't allowed to stare at your phone and yes. um, and so you can have that but you can also have going to the beach and having an amazing time with your family and just wanting to remember the memory the moment in more detail and we haven't really touched on that but we probably did in the last yeah. podcast but sketching is such a way to sort of embed a vivid memory um but one's one's a joyful experience and one's an anxious experience but the sketching was the way to cope with both yeah that's so interesting isn't it i've thought a lot about that how how and why um sketching something cements it in your memory so strongly and I think that the memories we hold on to are the ones that gave us an emotional response and when we fall in love with the world when we have this moment of of connection with the world it is an emotional response and maybe it's to do with that or maybe it's just the the focus Maybe it's just the spending time. I'm not sure, but it's a very powerful mechanism, isn't it? I think I think um, because they've this is not just nature sketching. This is um, drawing as a memory mm. tool. There's now quite a lot of mm. research coming out about how effective it is for um, anatomy students, veterinary students, um, mm. school children in classrooms, dementia patients, and I think they think it's to do with the three different pathways for making memory in your brain so it's the the visual memory the i can never say the word kinesthetic the movement mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the the meaning that you find in whatever it is that you're doing and it's the combination of three different memory pathways that 
create a, a stronger memory. Added to which, yeah. as I mentioned in the book, you just spend longer on it. Your, fo- yeah. your attention is what creates mm. memory. And if you're looking at something, sketching it, even if it's a quick sketch, you're giving it far more attention than if you glanced at it or if you took a quick yeah. photo when it's seconds rather than minutes. And that makes yeah, a huge difference for sure. how much it gets hardwired into our memory. Yeah. One thing that both of us are very passionate about is colour and I'd love to talk to you about colour and the way that you, um, that colour has touched you in your life. Ooh, wow. Um I don't know where to begin. I, uh, I've always been sensitive to colour. Um, yeah. I think, I think some people, I don't know whether it's the number of cones in your eyes or something, but I think some people are more sensitive to colour. Okay, and from that's a very, very early age, I've, I've loved colour. But some people, I say sensitive to colour because it's not just, oh, I like colour, I like bright colours. Mm. The wrong colour mm. can really upset me. Mm. <laughs> so Interesting. when it comes to interior design, I'm a nightmare because if you get a <laughs> I don't care about it, but if the colour is wrong, it makes me grumpy. You know it's right. It yeah, makes me grumpy. And, um, and so I get immense pleasure from the colours in nature. Mm. Far beyond, oh, that looks nice. It's the subtle combinations mm-hmm. of, oh, look at that shade of pink next to that particular shade of green. Or, um, yes. <laughs> uh, and some days it's, again, going back to that calming with your analogous calming mm-hmm. blues and greens. Or some days it's the joy of the complementary pop of um, you know, a sunflower against a blue sky or something. Um, yeah. So I, I think, if anything, I see the world in, in colour and colour combinations and it just feels part of me. But I love pointing out colour combinations to other people as well. I think you can't help yourself if you get joy from it. Yeah, I want. I do the same thing, and I really live for color. I, I, it makes me feel very grounded to see the colors of my landscape because I'm very attuned to the dusky greens and the sort of ochres and the uh, yeah. Blah, 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 blah. yeah. I um a previous guest, David Lucas, was talking about um having words, having vocabulary for this stuff, and it and there isn't. Mm. all the different subtleties that we need to express ourselves about colour. Uh, but he was talking about you can make your own um, words yeah. to express that. And and I want to do that. I think it's a very amazing idea because there is so much subtlety to it, isn't there? And there's so much, um, so much I want to say about colour um, and I don't know how to, but it brings me so much joy to tune into that. And, and at the same time, it's so hard to talk to other people about it. And I want to say, look at that. Look at that mossy green that's touching the... <laughs> I, think, I think one of the interesting things, though, and this comes back to the same thing in Chapter 9 about finding your own way of sketching. Some mm. people, colours like, eh, it's just... Yeah. They're much more interested in negative space or sharp mm-hmm, lines mm-hmm. and patterns and trying to excite them about colour can be futile because it's like, it's not my thing. And yes. so it's important to share your own passion. Yes. But also the colours I see won't be the same colours you see. And that's, yes. I still find this incredibly hard to get my head around, that the world I'm seeing, nobody else can see it. Um, and so it can be reassuring when it comes to sketching, because my son said this actually, that, well, if nobody sees the world I the way I see it then mm. it can't nobody can say my sketch is wrong because yes, <laughs> this might be yes. the way I've seen it um oh, he's really wise <laughs> it's, it's so true um yeah and so that love of color I think there are I think there are some of us out there who just live for color but yes we have to accept that other people you can infect people with your enthusiasm to a point <laughs> but they might be the ones like I said that get very excited about the texture of a rock or the pattern on the beetle's belly and you're like yeah that's quite nice but (laughs) um and yeah there's space for us all yeah totally and I really love the idea about color that colors of your landscape the the landscape that's deeply embedded in you the colors are embedded in you as well so I feel really grounded with these Australian colors 
And someone else might feel out of place if they come from a really lush rainforest or if they come from um, a desert or whatever it is. Colours become part of you, I think. I think it's also, we talked earlier about connecting to place and it's mm. it's the colours are not static, they change. Mm. So part of enjoying and connecting with the changing seasons is noticing that at this time mm. of year, the hills get this certain tinge of colour and then it's it's more subtle than just the turning seasons. It's the mm. subtlety of the particular flowers that are coming out now or the berries that are beginning to appear uh, or just the quality of the light at this time of the year. Yes. And that manifests in the colours. So it's it's a way in to connecting with place, is noticing the subtle colours. And somebody else visiting will just say, oh, this is a nice place. But they won't know that two weeks ago, the colour palette was mm. ever so slightly different. And, mm. um yeah. And I think the more you sketch, the more you look and the more you tune into these little things. And you can you can get so much joy out of noticing mm. these things that let's be honest, the vast majority of people yeah. aren't. But none of this experience has anything to do with how well you draw it on paper. It's all yes, to do exactly. it's all to do with the observation. And the drawing is just a tool that helps you see it, but the actual what the contents of your sketchbook have nothing to do with this experience. Yeah. Uh I'm holding my heart right now. I do that. I sort of unconsciously do that because I I hear I hear you and I hear and I feel it. And uh, it's brought up this memory, which was that we had um, relatives come over from New Zealand to stay, and it was summertime. And in summer, all the grass here goes yellow, um, and and these relatives said. Uh huh. You know your grass is all brown and yellow, and they were like teasing uh, this place for ha- yeah. everything being dry. But to me, that's part of it. Yeah. And I was like, "Yeah, isn't it beautiful?" <laughs> I yeah. just didn't get it because this is a color. It's a bicolor, you know. And we this is this landscape isn't designed to have you know perfectly green um, lawns. This, we, lawns are artificial and so that doesn't make sense. And so they turn brown and isn't it beautiful, you know, but they didn't, they didn't get that at all. But when I went to New Zealand for the very first time, I remember flying over Auckland and and the, the plane banked and I saw the hills for the first time. And I was, my mind was blown because I had never seen green Mm. like that, Mm. that much green and and so it makes sense that they commented on the brown grass but for me the brown grass is so beautiful it's just That's it's amazing. home oh, yeah. mm-hmm. i've been a known i've been known my love of color is such that i've been known to pick a holiday destination based on oh, wow. based on the color so yes i can't remember i don't think we'd spoken last time but last year we went to the outer hebrides in scotland Oh wow! And I just wanted, what are the colours there? I just wanted to go there to see the turquoise water, which is almost oh my goodness, almost tropical. But it's uh, you know it's northwest Scotland. It's um, it's not tropical. I mean, it's the Gulf Stream. <laughs> it's, it's the Gulf Stream, so you can you can swim in the sea. And obviously, with climate change, it's yeah. getting warmer. But it's still northwest Scotland, and yet the mm. colours there are just beautiful. They're they're pure. They're they're unique um, for the UK at least. And oh, um, wow. I went there and it was it was like just being enveloped in these sort of turquoises and these greens and um the, the wildflowers the splashes of pink uh and honestly I went there to see the color and felt happy because I'd seen the color rather than yeah, the wow. particular landscape or the the Mm-mm-mm. shape of the beaches or anything it was um yeah the color so yeah but when the more you that the is... more you do this the more I you find out what story. makes you happy <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And that's what the book is all about, tuning into what makes you happy, not yeah. not someone else, yeah. finding your style and your joy. And your and, and your relationship with nature. That's I mean, that's what's yeah. underpinning all of this is um, your relationship with your tried ground uh, where yes. you live is very different from your relatives in New Zealand. And yes. my desire and I, to go to Scotland to see turquoise yeah. will be very different from my neighbours who might be wanting to go to Spain to do something else. Um, yeah. I, I really strongly believe that this this process of figuring it all out, connecting, learning your relationship is a life's work. Mm, absolutely. And 
it's wonderful if you can be in one place and like get to know that place really deeply, but it doesn't matter. I feel like the world, our world is our world and wherever we are, our life's work can be connecting. Well, actually, green sketching is a brilliant thing to do if you've moved somewhere and you're missing home yeah. and you're feeling really disconnected yeah. because it can make you feel like you belong to a new place, even if you've um, got no other connection when you, when you go out and you start sketching it and seeing how your little patch, even if it's mm. an urban environment, but how you start mm. connecting with what you can see, all of a sudden it doesn't feel so strange and unfamiliar. And it can really help yeah. just, I mean, even even sort of where I live now, I'm still we moved house, not far, but we moved house um, <laughs> last summer. And just getting to know our patch, you know, that's, that's an ongoing process. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I love it. I love it so much. Towards the end of the book, you talk about how the some challenges and you say this isn't always easy. You know, life is complicated, but it's possible. And I love that you sort of even go through and list some of the challenges and how you might overcome them. And um, one of the things that I loved was that you talk about when it's cold, when it's windy, when it's hot and sunny, all these things that you might face. And I was thinking for me, it's interesting because in a lot of places with a lot of people that I talk to, um, winter is the time when they sort of retreat and it's hard to go out and sketch. But for me, um, summer is that time because it's scorching hot and you just want to be inside under the fan. Um, But, yeah, it's not always easy, but it's possible. And I think that this this part of the book is really lovely well it's just coming again from my own experience that Mm. um weather can be pretty changeable here but I think we've touched on before I've also I've got endometriosis so your energy levels through Mm. the month can Mm. radically change and if if you beat yourself up because a habit that you're trying to do is a bit difficult and then it makes you feel guilty because you're not doing it then it's not going to make you feel good. So I wanted to include a chapter that was um, sort of just empathising with all the difficulties we have and yeah. trying to find little solutions so that some days you might just go for a walk and hold your sketchbook and that's it. And yes. if you're stuck in the city, you might just sketch your pot plant. And some of it's yeah. really, really simple, but it it's keeping the habit going in a tiny way when you can, which is really important. Yes. But not having to do it every day if you don't want to. And a big part of the book, like an underlying sort of subtext, you don't talk a lot about it, but it's clear that this practice can help us be better environmental citizens. Mm -hmm. And you had a career as a high-flying climate change advisor. (laughs) (laughs) Low flying. (laughs) (laughs) This stuff is really important to you. It's part of your life. It's part of who you are. And and I love that this theme is there underneath mm. underneath it all. Mm. And I wonder about the the ways that green sketching has helped you be a better environmental citizen and um, in, engage in more pro environmental behaviour. I mean, I think it it comes down to the fact, and this is based on and um, supported by the research, that um, mm. if you tell people to do the right thing. Uh, and you give them all the information and all the reports and the data about the environmental crises we're facing, it has limited impact. And so the way to motivate people to adopt better environmental behaviours is to make them care. And Mm. um, the research on nature connection shows that um, when people feel an emotional connection to their environment, they're much more likely in turn to adopt what they call pro-environmental behaviors so whether that's your sort of your obvious ones like recycling or um, Mm -hmm. flying less but also perhaps um, creating habitats for wildlife in your garden Mm. or um, just changing the way you you shop um, and being much more savvy about how much and what you buy and everybody has these choices throughout their day and the more connected you are with nature in your life, the more you're likely to make um, environmentally friendly choices. Yeah. And I found that I used to work in environment sector. I don't think I was high flying, but I was, <laughs> I was, I was working. I was working with um, plenty of other high flyers, and um, it was 
it was really interesting that when I was working at the front line of some of the, um, the, the research and the policy work, I was stuck indoors. I was staring at computer mm. screens the whole time. Mm. I was in boardroom meetings and um, on an individual level, I knew all the stuff, but I wasn't translating it into my day-to-day behavior. I was still booking flights to go on nice holidays and weekends mm. away somewhere in Europe. And I haven't given up flying completely. Um, um, but on a day-to-day level, I'm, I've cut radically down on meat. We've got like a bug hotel in the garden. We're sowing wildflower <laughs> little meadow. Um, every decision we make now um, is made through the sort of green lens. And it's yes. because, because I'm, you can't go and sketch things and appreciate them and fall in love with the beauty yeah. of the colours and then ignore it when you, you make consumer yeah. choices. So I think that's, that's the connection. That's how, it, how it's linked. Um, and I think there's another element that at the moment, there's so much fear and anxiety in the world that when you add in the layer of we've got a climate mm. crisis, mm, mm, mm. so many of us, including myself, you shut down. You're like, I can't deal with this on top of everything else. Yes. And, and worse, you sometimes want to treat yourself to make yourself feel better. Yes. And so many people will treat Absolutely. themselves through buying something or treating mm-hmm. themselves to fast food. And green sketching is joyful. It's not making you feel guilty. It's making you find something that actually calms mm. down all that anxiety and it creates joy and hope rather than this overwhelming sense of dread and anxiety. So it's, it's um, yeah, that's the other sort of element to it, I suppose. Yeah, and it connects you with things no matter how broken, no matter how fragmented, you know, like I'm thinking about weeds there's lots of weeds in our environment here we live adjacent to a beautiful subtropical rainforest and and in a lot of those areas where the um, urban meets the rainforest there's there's weeds galore and yet sitting with this imperfect fragmented landscape you find beauty and you find calm you know it's easy to to worry about that stuff and I think it's it is important to keep those things in our mind, it is important not to worry, but to, to be proactive mm-hmm. and to, to know what's what needs to be done. And at the same time, sitting with the imperfect and enjoying it anyway is, can be precious. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also a lot of people at the forefront of the climate change work in particular are some of the ones who are most liable to burnout and but yes. they really know what's happening and what's coming yes um you can't be a non-stop activist you can't yes you have to find ways to you know we're in this for the long term it's not going to stop we've got to find ways to cope and coping regulating our mental health is a key part of resilience to climate change um so it's it's all taking time out and like you say accepting what we have um Mm. and focusing what we still have (laughs) rather than just what we're losing is yes. really, really yes. important. Yeah, absolutely. I think tied in with this is this feeling and um, idea of gratitude. Mm. And I wonder if you could speak a little about gratitude and how that has become part of your life through green sketching. Um, I think there's just a close relationship with joy and gratitude. And yeah, gratitude is a wonderful anxiety um, antidote to anxiety it's very yes. hard to be in a spiral of worry when you you just pivot it into the at least you know so let's take yep. the climate change you know, this is awful it, the world's going to end what does this mean for my son but at least mm. people are starting to care at least mm. there are more options for what we buy in the shops and at least more people are eating plant-based meals and um and with green sketching, when you see how much beauty there is around us, it's like, you know, at least we still have a beautiful world and um, yeah. be grateful for the, the, the grounding nature of the changing seasons. And um, yeah, I'm not sure if that answers your question, there's, but there's, there's, a, there's a sort of very close interplay between the joy and the gratitude and the, um, the being mindful of the present moment and not letting our thoughts spiral out of control. Yeah, and I think joy is almost a yeah. It again, it's that idea of all these subtleties of human emotion and 
you know, feelings that it's hard to articulate, but in some ways I feel that joy and gratitude touch each other and they, <laughs> in their definition. And they do, and they touch you. And this is this is where we're getting really deep, but they touch with love. <laughs> they touch with love as well. And yes, if you yeah. experience joy and gratitude, then love isn't far behind, uh, yes. or it's underpinning both of them. And yes. it's that love for nature, which then prompts you to want to take care of yes. it. So, um, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you the neuroscience underpinning all of that, but it's, it's that connection. You can't have joy and gratitude without yeah. some love. And love, yes. love is what we, we kind of need to connect with to take care of our, our planet. Absolutely. You and I were on the same page. I love it. I've loved this conversation so much. Ellie, thank you for joining me again on the podcast. Oh, it's been a pleasure, Beth, and thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Ali. The philosophy of green sketching just resonates really strongly with me. The simplicity of letting creativity guide us to more joy and more calm in life is a really wonderful concept. Life can be really complicated, but Ali's idea of green sketching is simple and accessible for everyone at every stage. If you go to the show notes for this episode, you'll find links to where you can purchase the green sketching handbook. I highly recommend this book for anyone who wants to make sketching in nature a habit and increase well-being. Thank you so much for listening. See you next week.